Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to St Matthew's. It's great to see you all here. Uh, as we begin this morning, we're going to sing together a hymn that was written uh, just over 400 years ago, and we're still singing it to the original tune. Uh, it's a beautiful appropriation of Psalm 100, in which God's people call on everybody everywhere to praise his name because of his goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy. So would you stand as we sing together, all people that on earth do dwell. fantastic this morning. It's good to have something to sing about, isn't it? And we certainly do as we come together as God's people. A uh, warm welcome to everyone that's here this morning. For our guests, uh, we love having guests here, so welcome. Uh, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the ministers here, and I do want to say a special word of welcome to those of you who are joining us online. 
Uh, great to have you here, even though we can't um, be with you in person. Uh, today we turn again to the little book of Esther in the Old Testament, uh, which turns out to be such a helpful book as we sometimes wonder what God who, who is hidden to us, whom we can't see, what he is doing in the world, especially when things are difficult for us. And certainly they were difficult for God's ancient people, the Jews, uh, back in the Persian Empire. And Scott Petty will be bringing us uh, that message from God's word today. Uh, a feature of our service today is that at various times we'll be praying and praying for a whole variety of things. Uh, as we get underway, we'll, we'll pray in a moment and I'll invite you to join me in a prayer of preparation for the rest of our service together. Then we'll be praying a prayer of thanksgiving to God. There is so much to be thankful to him for. Then we'll be reading a, a psalm that fits really well with the theme of the book of Esther, uh, Psalm 23, which, which is a psalm that as we say it together, we acknowledge that God, whom we cannot see, watches over us like a shepherd, like a good shepherd over their sheep. And then there will be a, a number of other things that we pray for, closing uh, with the Lord's Prayer. But would you join me as we pray for God's help as we gather as his people today? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now this prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious God, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given to us, for life and health and safety, for power to work, leisure to rest, and for all that is beautiful in creation and human life. But above all, we praise you for our Saviour, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for the gift of your spirit, and for the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now it's Psalm 23, um, one of a favourite for many people, maybe the favourite. So shall we, shall we say, uh, the Lord is my shepherd together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Beautiful psalm, isn't it? Before further prayer, we're going to hear a little church news. One of the things we're going to be praying about is the upcoming youth camp. And some of you only know Stu was Christmas Stu, but he's actually our youth minister. And he and his team are getting together for a youth camp beginning next Sunday. Thanks, Stu. Well, good morning, everyone. 
It's lovely to be here and uh, let you know what's coming up for us next week. We have our uh, summer camp kicking off in just seven days. Next Sunday is the first day of our summer camp. Uh, Camps are a really big part of our youth ministry here at St. Matt's. We go on at least two a year uh, and uh, the summer camp in particular is our kind of big kick off the year Uh, start with a bunch of energy, get away with all our young people, and and it's always a really great time. It's always an essential part of our ministry. Uh, So I'll just give you a quick kind of uh, heads up about what's coming for us so you can keep us in your prayers. Uh, Next week we'll we'll be taking away uh, 114 people all up. We have 85 youth coming along with a team of around 30. Uh, In that team, there's our regular youth leaders, as well as some ring-ins for uh, just some extra adult supervision while we're away, as well as five of our uh, previously just graduated Year 12 students are coming back to uh, help us out, which is uh, really lovely of them to be able to do. Uh, And camps are always uh, a really kind of essential part in in our program. They they start our year off, and it's also just a nice way to get away from the hustle bustle of life just before school goes back and really kind of zone in on uh, growing in community together and digging deep into God's Word. Each day uh, there are quiet times where the youth spend their own time in the Bible. There are our kind of sessions, our church services each and every day. There's discussion groups. There's... Uh, seminar nights, there's uh, firesides where we reflect on what we've learned and we worship together and it's always, always an absolutely lovely time uh, to head away. this year, uh, there's, a, there's something slightly different happening. Next Sunday, uh, rather than going straight off to our campsite, we're having a day camp in Manly. So we'll be around the place, uh, we'll be heading to the beach together, and then uh, the thing I'm really looking forward to that day is that uh, that night at 6.30 at our regular night church service, we're taking over and we're presenting Camp Church, uh, which is an opportunity for anyone uh, to come along and get a taste of youth camp. So if it's been a while since you've been on a youth camp, and uh, you're maybe missing out on uh, what you remember from years gone by, then you're welcome to come along to 6.30 next Sunday and join in on Camp Church, get a little taste of what summer camp is this year. Uh, This year we're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. We have a guest speaker coming in, uh, a youth minister from uh, Christchurch, Josh Hayward. He's coming in speaking on wisdom in Ecclesiastes to our young people, uh, something that all of us could do with a lot more of, but a really essential part in how we uh, grow up our young people as they uh, explore this world as young Christians. Um, And then uh, Monday through Thursday, we're off to Golston Gorge for the rest of our camp, which will uh, be away, hopefully kind of switched off from devices and uh, the other distractions that are around us. Uh, So that is kind of a a brief summary of what's coming up. there will be some, uh, plenty of things that I would love you to pray for us, because even though you might not be able to come to camp anymore, uh, you can still get involved by praying. And, and this year, I'd really love our, our whole church to be uh, lifting our camp up through prayer the whole week we're away. It's always a, uh, a time where we see young people make big decisions and uh, just be able to soak in the community that they're a part of as, uh, as youth here at Matt's. And uh, in Bruce's weekly email this Friday, there'll be a... PDF, a big form with some uh, prayer points listed on it for each day, specific prayer points for each day. And I would love if you could pray for us uh, as we're away for camp, uh, pray for things like safety, for good sleep, 
uh, and for uh, mostly for these young people to be able to really switch on, really listen to God's word and his spirit moving in them as they uh, spend time away from the rest of life and start off this year in his word, looking at the wisdom that comes from it uh, to be able to base not just this year, but their whole lives on. Uh, so hopefully one day they're sitting here uh, reminiscing on the days where they went to youth camp too and praying for that next generation coming through. So I'd uh, love for you to uh, continue to pray for us. Uh, I'll be floating around at some point if you have any questions, uh, but that prayer point list will come in the weekly email and uh, we'll pray for youth camp a bit later as well in the service. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Stu. It's great to be part of a church of um, diverse ages and experiences, uh, as well as uh, praying today for the upcoming youth camp. At um, 8 o'clock church particularly, we, we take the big O birthdays very seriously, especially when it's a 9-0 birthday, and yesterday was Irene Huang's 90th birthday. Now, Irene hasn't been able to be with us here on Sunday mornings for some time since she broke both wrists uh, early last year, and so it's taken her a while to get up and about, but she was well enough to get to a party last night. Nadia, can you see that photo there? Great. Oh, you've got it. Okay, terrific. <laughs> Uh, so it was lovely uh, for Irene to be able to gather with uh, her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, some neighbours, uh, as well as some folks from St Matthew's. And so it, amongst our prayers, we'll be giving God thanks uh, for each of those 90 years that God has given to Irene and praying for her own, own ongoing walk of faith as she follows the Lord Jesus. Uh, as I said earlier, yes, exactly. <laughs> I see someone clapping there who had an 8-0 birthday last Sunday. She was away from church. Brenda, congratulations. <laughs> uh, it's great to have you back, uh, Brenda. Um, I do want to say to those of you who are guests with us, it's really good to have you with us. We would love to know that you've been here. And one way you can do that is by taking hold of the little business cardy thing that's in front of you on the, the shelf just in front of you. Use the QR code there and just uh, communicate with us through that way. Otherwise, please come and say hello to me. I'd love to meet you uh, before you leave. And if there's some way in which we can help um, uh, anyone that's here this morning, again, that's a good way of communicating with us. A couple of things um, to let you know about that are coming up at St. Matthew's. One is our, our annual prayer and fasting week, uh, which uh, we do as, uh, as February begins, so just a heads up that this is coming. Uh, so in the prayer and fasting week, uh, we'll host uh, a series of, of prayer meetings here at church in the, in the morning and at uh, lunchtime. And there'll be two evening uh, prayer times focusing on different things. On the Monday night, uh, we'll be gathering to pray for family members and loved ones. Uh, on the Wednesday night, it'll be a prayer and praise time. Uh, a time for singing and praise of God. Uh, when it comes to fasting, in the past, uh, some, some folks have fasted for, say, a day, others for the whole week, others for something in between. Really, what we're, what we're wanting to do as the year gets underway is entrust what we're doing here as God's people at St Matthew's, here in Manly, uh, to God uh, in prayer. Uh, so it's a really key part of our year that prayer and fasting week. And the reason we're mentioning it now is just to give you the opportunity to consider how you might be able to engage with God and with others in that week. 
And the final thing to mention by way of church news is that also growth groups get underway in February, the first few weeks of February. If, if you're not a part of uh, a growth group, uh, the start of the year is a really good time to get involved. And if you're not aware of, of um, how our growth groups work, um, they focus on coming together, a few of us, uh, to listen to God's word and help one another understand what God is saying to us, uh, to praying for, for each other and for larger things than just our own concerns. And, and just to the fellowship of being together with some of, other God, some of God's other people uh, in a committed way over, a, over, over time. Uh, we've got groups that meet um, in various places at various times. Uh, we have mixed groups, we have men's groups, uh, women's groups, uh, morning, afternoon, evening, uh, at various places. So there's sure to be one that, that fits uh, with where you're up to. And Scott, who will be speaking today, coordinates those groups. So you could either let him know that you're, you're interested in joining one of those uh, using this or grab him after the service. So plenty coming up and plenty to be prayerful for. So we move now uh, to a time in which I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll close our time of prayer uh, with the Lord's Prayer. I'll mention a few things that we're praying about. We'll pray for the youth camp, upcoming particularly preparations this week. Uh, we'll be praying uh, again for Indigenous people across our country in the wake of our, uh, the visit Bruce, our senior minister, and his wife Kathy had at uh, a big conference across in South Australia the week before last. Uh, and we also, we'll also be lifting up before the Lord some particular concerns of members of this congregation. So uh, please bow your head as I lead us in prayer. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created and are sustained. Father, we praise you that we know you now as our Father and that you welcome our prayers. So Lord, we want to thank you for the wonderful youth ministry that takes place here at St Matthew's. And we lift up this morning the preparation that still needs to be to be made in this next week as summer camp approaches. We pray particularly for Stuart and his team as they finalise those preparations. And ahead of time, we pray for the work of your spirit amongst young people who'll be there. And we pray for safety through the week. And we pray that those who already know you will have a really significant time of growing in faith in you and be well prepared for the year ahead at school. We pray for those who may not yet have turned to you that this might be that time when, as a result of listening to your word as it's taught, and as a result of uh, the conversations and the fun that they have together, uh, they'd find themselves moved by your spirit to turn to you and put their trust in you. And Lord, we give thanks uh, for our senior minister Bruce's time away speaking at the Aboriginal Evangelical Fellowship National Conference in Port Augusta in South Australia. We thank you for many Indigenous folk who travelled a long way to be there and for news that Bruce and Kath heard of the way in which you're at work amongst many Indigenous communities across the country. And we thank you for the labours of our own mission partners, Neville and Kathy Naden, who were instrumental in pulling that conference together. And um, we, we just thank you so much uh, for the time they had together. And we, we pray, Lord, that as they've returned uh, to their places of ministry and life, uh, that you would use their time at the conference, especially the Bible studies that were delivered by Bruce, uh, for their own benefit 
and for the benefit of their own uh, churches and fellowships. We do thank you, Lord, for news that Bruce and Kath have brought us back and for the encouragement they received by having that time uh, with our brothers and sisters. And Lord, we, as we consider our own members here at St Matthew's and particularly at the 8 o'clock service, we give you thanks for Irene. We thank you for the, the part that she's had in our fellowship over many years now. And we thank you for the comfort you've brought her during the years that she's been by herself without her husband. We thank you for her family, a loving family. We thank you for her role in raising uh, children who follow you and for her influence over the whole family, the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. And Lord, we pray that uh, soon she'd be able to get back and join with us on a Sunday morning. And we pray that you'll sustain her faith as the days and years unfold, however many days you may give her. We pray that she'll faithfully serve you and more and more know you and know your joy and peace in Christ. And Lord, as we consider the needs of this congregation, we thank you for those who offered to serve as contributing members when an appeal was made last October, for folk from other congregations here at St Matthew's who've committed to doing what they can to come alongside those who need extra care in this congregation. And we pray that as they begin that ministry this year, it would be as much a blessing to them as it is to those they serve. And we lift up before you this morning, Father, those in our midst here who are grieving. For some, the grief is still raw. For those who are experiencing increasing frailty and isolation. For those who are recovering from surgery, and there are a number who, who are doing so. And for those who are recovering from illness, especially some who've been suffering from COVID. We want to name in particular those who have been regular members here but are no longer able to come while in full-time residential care or at home. As well as Irene, uh, we mentioned Theodora Smith, uh, Robert and Ruth Ross, Liz Gillam, Norma Odlam, Jess and Run Maddox, uh, Ross Maddox, Eddie South, especially in her grief at losing Basil, uh, Pauline Hardy and Ian and Jeannie Johnson. We thank you for the care that they receive from loving families and others that care for them. In their difficulty and isolation, would you be their ever-present comfort and strength? And Lord, today we also want to lift up before you the, the grandson of our dear sister Trish, who's a member of this congregation, who had major heart surgery on Friday. Little four-year-old boy, it's not his first surgery. And unless there's a miracle, it won't be his last. But we pray in particular, uh, we pray for his healing, Lord. Um, uh, but we pray for his recovery. He'll need to be in hospital for a couple of weeks at least. We pray for his health carers that they'll have understanding and be able to give him the comfort that he needs. We pray for his mum and dad as they care not only for his needs, but also for those of his older sister. Lord, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father, that you are our great shepherd, that you care for us, that you watch over us. We thank you that as we've been praying, you're hearing our prayers and we entrust ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we've got the, the chance to come before God our Father in the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So please join me as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our next hymn, which will be our collection hymn. chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. And we can find that on page... Yeah, doesn't seem to say. 484. 94. It's just before Job. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai wouldn't kneel down and pay him honour. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? 
Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about, the, about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated, for he told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai wouldn't kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the Pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month. And the lot fell on the month of the first month, the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people and they don't obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I'll give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Gagakite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for that day.
from this Old Testament book of Esther, which doesn't even mention the name of God anywhere in it. And yet his fingerprints are everywhere. But to see them in this story, we are taken to a very dark place. Uh, it's a place of hatred where the existence of the entirety of God's Old Testament people of old is threatened and in which Esther finds herself uniquely placed to act if she's brave enough, that is. Well, this is our second week in this uh, unusual little book of Esther. Last week with Andrew, we saw that the Jews, the Old Testament people of God, were in exile, that is, away from the promised land of Israel. They were holed up in the middle of the Persian Empire that covered that great span of the ancient world under King Xerxes. Now, it was a dangerous place in general, but particularly dangerous for the Jews, God's Old Testament people. And yet, by a bizarre twist of fate, or what we would call the intervention of God, a Jewess called Esther had gained the king's favour and found herself as his queen. Well, what will happen to her? And what will happen to her uncle Mordecai, who seems to spend a lot of his days skulking around outside the courts of Xerxes? But in so doing, has not only helped to usher in Esther into the king's favour, but has even saved the life of the king himself, which we heard last week. Well, friends, as we get into chapter 3, the pressing question is not so much about Esther or Mordecai's individuals. It's about the Jewish nation as a whole because their existence as an entirety is perilous. It seems that some kind of hatred of God has led to a sweeping hatred of his people. Well, how has that come about? Let's pick it up from chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it together. After these events, that is, Mordecai um, informing Xerxes that his life was endangered, after Esther had become the queen, King Xerxes honoured, well, not Mordecai, but Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Skip down to verse 5 with me. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learnt who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout that whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now that seems like a bit of an overreaction, don't you reckon? One bloke doesn't bow down to you, so you think to yourself, well, I might as well kill his whole people, his whole race. Seems like a, an overreaction, certainly a, a garden variety of case of anti-Semitism. What might explain that? Well, firstly, it's an ancient hatred. Haman, whom the king had elevated to the position of really prime minister in the empire, is an Agagite, and Agagite was a king of the Amalekites who opposed King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Now, as it turns out, Mordecai, our man on the street, is from the Israelite tribe of Benjamin. So he's a descendant of Saul. So you've got an enmity that goes back, well, hundreds of years. But in fact, it goes back even further than that to the time when the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, having been rescued from Egypt, and when the Amalekites, that is Haman's ancestors, 
attacked a weary Israel on their journey out. So it's much more than a personal vendetta. It is a long and enduring hatred. It's furthermore a murderous hatred and is completely unfounded. You know, there's something disproportionate and unreasonable about it. And I think that tracks with some of the opposition that we encounter even in our culture today. I mean, things don't get murderous, at least not for us, at least not yet. But when you encounter backlash, simply for being a Christian, for holding basic Christian beliefs, often it just seems so way off. You know, the, the, the opposition seems so unnecessary, so unjustified, and so excessive. I remember um, about 10 years ago, uh, the then Archbishop of Sydney called Peter Jensen, he appeared on this once relevant panel show called Q&A. And uh, you'll see him sitting there, um, if you've got very good eyesight, next to a, a comedian um, called Catherine Devaney. And she was roundly criticised for being rude and mocking and quite unfunny uh, in the way that she talked over the top of other guests, including Jensen. So much so that the Australian newspaper the next day ran an article titled, Jensen kept his dignity in the lion's den. And they even called for the public broadcaster to apologise to Jensen, who in contrast was winsome, he was faithful, he was articulate. Okay, fair enough. This is what Catherine Devaney said later about the show. Sitting next to Jensen was an assault. Afterwards, I felt like I had been raped. You can be as evil as you like when you're quoting from the Bible, for him to be given as much airtime as he was, was confronting. It was a physical feeling of repellent. Now, she has kind of faded into relative obscurity since then. I wonder if she'd have made similar comments in 2022 rather than 2012, whether she would have been roundly lauded a hero. So unreasonable. I mean, she was hardly murderous, but it was murderous back in Esther's day, because Haman was looking for a way to kill all of Mordecai's people throughout the whole kingdom. It was a superstitious, it was a religious hatred, it was a hatred that twisted the truth. And you can see that at Haman's appeal to the king, can't you? Look at verse 8. Their customs are different from those of all other people. They don't obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. And you think, well, it's half true, isn't it? Their customs are different. But they don't seem to be a wild bunch of lawbreakers and after all wasn't it Mordecai the Jew who warned the king about a plot to take his life how can it possibly be in the king's best interest to kill them all but that's how such a hatred often works it starts with truths that blend into half truths which are also called half lies and then end up being outright outlandish falsehoods and of course you can see that finally it is a comprehensive hatred that went to every place, every official, in every language to attack every single person of God with complete destruction on a single day, which happened to be the day before Passover. How ironic. Ultimately, our New Testaments in places like Revelation and even from the lips of Jesus himself tell us that the hostility that the people have towards the people of God, Christians, uh, sorry, what I'm saying is that the hostility people have towards God often finds expression in an unreasonable, twisted, ancient and enduring hostility towards his people. And the fact that we don't all experience it right now doesn't mean that some don't experience it right now, certainly across our world. 
and it certainly doesn't mean that we won't experience it at some stage in our future. Now, I don't want to keep harping on about this because it can create a kind of persecution complex amongst us that is just unhelpful. So as we turn from Esther 3 to Esther 4, we see that this dark background of persecution is met with a pressing need for God's intervention, for him to send a human mediator into the foreground while he's at work in the background. And as you'd imagine, chapter 4 opens with Mordecai um, in deep distress when he discovers that the king has agreed to Haman's deceitful plan to kill all the Jews. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 3, it tells us that in every province of the Persian Empire, all 127 of them, there was great mourning amongst the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing in sackcloth and ashes. And when Esther, our beautiful queen, who's in the safety and the comfort of the citadel, discovers that Mordecai is distressed, there begins a series of back and forths, interchanges between Esther and her, her messenger called Hathak to Mordecai, and then from Mordecai back to Esther through the same guy Hathak. And they heighten the drama and the tension because you realise there's no direct line between the Jews on the street and the queen in the palace. So let's read verse 8, one of these interchanges. He, Mordecai, our ground-level hero, also gave him, that's Hathak the messenger, a copy of the text of the edict of their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, in the capital, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct Esther to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. So you can sense the, the desperate need for the mediator, like the tension is heightened. Someone to intervene on behalf of God. Who could possibly do that? Well, of course, it's Esther, the queen. She should just go into the king's presence and beg him to show mercy to her people. But she hadn't even told him that she was one of her people, a Jewess. And that wasn't the only problem. She explains back to the messenger in verse 11. Everyone knows you can't just go into the king's presence uninvited. Everyone knows, like across the kingdom, that the standing practice is that anyone that just bails on up to the king is put to death unless he extends the royal gold scepter to indicate he wants to spare that person's life. Everyone knows that rule, says Esther. And even worse, she hasn't even seen the king for a month. He's not even wanted to be with her for 30 days. So there is great danger, and this whole business of being the mediator is not without peril. I mean, the odds are, chances are, you could die. But the message goes back to Mordecai and reports Esther's message. And then Mordecai, poor guy. I mean, he was getting his steps up that day, wasn't he? Mordecai sends the messenger back to Esther with a message of his own. And this is worth reading out in full from verse 13. Esther, do not think because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Hmm. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, Queen Esther, that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Probably the most famous words in the whole book. Well, a couple of things to notice. Being under the protection of the king is no protection at all if you are against the will of God. 
Mordecai knows because God has made covenant promises hundreds of years earlier that the Israelites would not be annihilated. He's confident of that. They would become numerous like the stars in the night sky, like sand on the shores. And one from among that brood would bring blessing to the whole world. I mean, Mordecai knew they wouldn't be wiped out, but in his desperation, he had an uncanny sense that Esther would be the deliverer this time around. It was not without risk for her to go into the king's presence, but it was not without risk to remain silent either. But more notably than that, Mordecai just had a hunch that it was no coincidence that Esther ended up in the royal palace. Verse 14, as I said, probably the most well-known and most important verse in the whole book. Who knows but that you have come to a, your royal position for such a time as this. Now, it's not definitive, is it, what he says. He might be wrong, but he can just trace the coincidences and join the dots. Can it be mere coincidence that the former queen was dismissed years earlier? Mere coincidence, Esther? That the king's advisors suggested a beauty contest, and you're quite beautiful. You won it and became queen. Coincidence that Mordecai stumbled upon an assassination plot that saved the king's life. Coincidence that when Haman superstitiously rolled the dice, cast the lot that would decide the day upon which this annihilation would happen. It was a full year down the track. I mean, imagine what would have happened if it was the next week. So many coincidences to discount. And while there's no direct word from God to say so, who knows, Esther? Maybe this is why you find yourself where you are. So what will you do? You cower in fear or step out in faith? Well, friends, we don't get to see how it works out this week, so you're going to have to come back next week. <laughs> but with fasting and presumably prayer, and backed up by fasting and presumably prayer of Esther's entourage and the entire Jewish nation, she says this to the king in verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. When this, that's the prayer and the fasting, is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know, Mordecai's, well, who knows, is met with a, and if I perish, I perish. But you sense, well, you see a clear willingness to risk it. There's a desperate need for a mediator, a, a human deliverer to intervene on God's behalf. And Esther resolves that despite the risk, she will take up that role. And, you know, as Christian people, we can see the figure of Jesus in her shadow, can't we? After all, he was a mediator, uh, someone bridging the gap at great personal peril on our behalf when he was born among us and when he died for us. Christopher Ashe in his uh, lovely little commentary wrote this, Esther bravely faced the possibility of death, but this great mediator, Jesus, faced its certainty. And he did perish for the life of his people, which of course includes you and me, if we trust in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We have a mediator, a human intercessor, someone who intervened on God's behalf, somebody who pleaded with his life for our deliverance. His deliverance was successful, but my goodness, the cost was certain and severe. There was no, and if I perish... He perished unavoidably so that we might not.
And so, friends, I think in seeing a glimpse of Jesus in the bravery of Esther, it ought to bring us to a place of not just, oh, I see the connection, but real gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us. No small thing, of course, for Esther to, to go see the king and plead for the life of her people. She might die in doing so, but how much more? How much greater then is our deliverer, the Lord Jesus, who so willingly came to earth and lived among us and then willingly submitted himself to death to bring about our ultimate deliverance from all of our ancient foes, from sin, death, and the devil. It ought to make us well up in thankfulness, don't you reckon? I trust you're filled with wonder and gratitude in this first place. But I also imagine the story of Esther might make you contemplate the various arenas in which you find yourself to just wonder whether God has placed you there for his purposes. I mean, not as a deliverer, in all likelihood, but maybe as a witness to the way he has delivered you and the offer of delivery that he extends to all people. Maybe that's your household, maybe that's your family, maybe that's your workplace, if you're still working, maybe that's your group of friends. Maybe you've got influence in your spheres of life and you might be able to find creative, courageous courteous ways to testify to Jesus and his delivery of you. You know, you sit down to a meal together, you go, you know, I want to say grace. You just, you just insert into your conversation, I thank God for whatever it might be. You mention unashamedly, you go to church, things like that. I mean, no doubt, there will be some risks for us in doing things like that, even though they seem benign, especially in our culture, which is increasingly hostile to those with faith. But who knows that you have come to your position for such a time as this. And lastly, in addition to our sense of gratitude for all that Jesus, our human deliverer, the one who pleaded for us with his life, in addition to pondering the places of influence in which God has placed you this year, I think this story of Esther encourages us to see that when it comes to the Christian life, there, there are no such things as coincidences. I mean, not often at least. I mean, if God can work through those monumental events of creation and then salvation, it's not too big a thing for him to work through the small details in our lives, is it? He doesn't have to always work through miracles and dreams and visions and great charismatic leaders and prophets and priests. It's very helpful to know as we live our Christian lives, our kingdom calling, really as fellow exiles in a world that's indifferent or unfriendly to Jesus, and where God often seems like he's not in the foreground. I think this is especially good to remember when it seems like God is on leave, on a break. Because friends, he is present even when he appears most absent and most hidden. He may not speak audibly, work miraculously among us but because of the work of his son you know that he is always for us and because of the ongoing presence of his spirit you know that he is always with us and so he continues to work among us and he continues to be with us hidden perhaps but absent inactive and unconcerned never Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we, we admit that oftentimes we feel like you are on a break from our lives. Forgive us for that. We see in the story of Esther that even when your name is not mentioned, you are at work and your fingerprints are everywhere. So encourage us by that. And furthermore, we want to rejoice in the way you sent your deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, a human mediator, to plead with his life for us, uh, similar to what Esther did way back then. We're, we're so full of gratitude and praise and joy and wonder. May that be evident in our lives and that, may that be a further way in which you're at work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Friends, let's stand and sing our final hymn together.
seat. And no such thing as coincidences in a world that's ruled by the God who rules everything, right down to the, the last details, even of our own lives. Uh, the God who is hidden from our sight is our shepherd, our guide, the one who, in the person of Jesus, came as our mediator. Uh, such great words of encouragement that we've heard from the story of Esther. More to come next week. Um, and, and if you're really busting, why don't you have a read of chapter 5, 6 and 7 uh, yourself? Uh, actually, a great way of preparing for being in church next week. Um, morning tea will be served across the courtyard and in the function room. Uh, so if you don't have to rush off, we'd love to see you there. Uh, otherwise, let me finish with these words of encouragement from the book of Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.